Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious, with me, Caroline Norbury. On each episode, I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. Rick is the co-founder of UK climate action charity Carbon Copy. The charity aims to speed up collective climate action by sharing successful initiatives from community councils and companies for others to copy and adapt. Rick trained as an engineer and also studied renewable energy with the European Institute of Innovation and Technology and Urbanism at LSE. During his early career, Rick worked in strategic corporate roles and set up three successful technology ventures before taking a more hands-on role to address the climate emergency. His book, Civic Revolution, A Citizen's Guide, was published in 2019 about the power of local action. I'm looking forward to finding out more about Carbon Copy and Rick's ambitions for the organisation. Welcome, Rick, to the podcast. Thank you very much, Caroline. I'm delighted to be chatting with you today and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And so am I. So it would be great to start finding out a bit. Um, you've done quite a bit of stuff before you came directly into the climate environment sort of area. What were you doing beforehand and what made you get interested in environmental topics? Well, I think the thing that really drew me in, uh, there's a couple of things. One was just as an engaged member of my local community, um, a few years back, um, we as community members were encouraging our local council to declare a climate emergency. A lot of other councils have done that and our council was uh, a bit of a laggard. And so we were just really wanting them to engage. And then when they did, as community members, we wanted to figure out how do we then work together with the council and with local companies to shape a plan for our local area and then to go about implementing it. So I was kind of living it very much uh, in my local area. And that kind of informed me a little bit of, around other people doing similar things. We're not quite sure how to do it, um, but there are some good practices out there. How do we share those? So I came at it from that point of view. And then I also, from some of my studies, put together some of my thinking uh, and wrote a book. And, and the, writing the book was very much a way for me to distill some of the things thinking around really the power of place, how uh, we as individuals within our local communities uh, really do have a lot of influence over the world around us. And in the context of addressing the climate crisis, which is so big and potentially overwhelming, uh, there's an amazing amount that can be done in the places where we live and work. And so this book was really focusing on the things that people can do and really hopefully feeling a sense of empowerment around being able to make change happen. Writing a book is quite a big undertaking. Had you done something like that before? Or what made you think that this is the way to communicate what I need to get out there? Um, I hadn't done something before. So this 
is my first book. I'm not sure if I'm going to write another because it can be all consuming. But it was a way, I had a lot of things that I was kind of thinking through. And it was a way for me to kind of sort out that thinking and then to share some of the research that I had been doing and some of the studying that I had been doing in a way that I hope uh, is reasonably accessible uh, for people. And I came at it from the perspective very much of uh, cities and towns. Um, there's obviously a big rural component to this, but my perspective was uh, just recognizing that um, you know, cities are one of the biggest causes of, of global warming and mass extinction of species. Um, you know, the urbanization of our population on a global level is only continuing. And yet at the same time, this problem is also potentially the principal solution. And, and, and the way that we live together in cities and towns can be done in such a way that we can live better while we consume less, while we pollute less. And I think it's recognizing that there's potential in that urban environment, it's not all negative by any means. It really is a, a, a potential place for us to not only simply survive, but also to flourish. And so that was my, my perspective. And that's how I kind of, it's still some of my thinking into this book. And in terms of you, you're working very much in this sort of community local space to try and drive action. Was that a deliberate move on your part? Because, I mean, if you were going to take action, you can do it on an individual level. You can obviously go higher up the food chain and try and get into government. What made you choose this particular level of action? I think you've hit the nail on the head in that we need action across the board. You know, um, we're, we're talking about a systemic change, which means we have to change uh, individually, our personal lifestyles. Uh, clearly, we need more support at a national and an international level. But there's this important middle layer uh, in terms of how we can act collectively in the places where we live. And in many ways, I wanted to shine a light on this particular middle layer because sometimes there's too much focus put on us as individuals and seemingly... You know, if we do all these various things, more recycling, solar panels, buy an electric car, if we can afford to do that, or simply, you know, cycle or walk more. If we do all of these things, then we'll get there. And I think the harsh truth is that we won't get there just by doing individual actions alone. It's a key, key uh, factor in the mix, but it's not just going to be individual action alone. There's lots of things that we do collectively that will also play a massive difference. And then there's clearly things like policy, a more positive policy environment to make sure that these things are institutionalized. So I wanted to um, share a lot of, it, of exciting examples and the hope in how we can collectively have a bigger impact. And I think a lot of people uh, do gravitate towards this because you can see change happening. Sometimes it can be frustrating when you know we need more national government leadership and you don't see it. There's lots of people that are doing really good stuff in terms of holding our government to account. And I think the work that activists do is also a really important part, but I'm not an activist. And relatively few of us are activists, 
but we're all citizens. We all can contribute to uh, our local communities and to the places where we live. And I think it's recognizing that role that we can play and how collectively we can really have a, a bigger impact than just some of the things that we do on an individual level. Absolutely. And how did you decide then? Because you could have then entered, say, looked in your own community, as you as you already had sort of indicated, that's where you sort of started looking about your own community. You could have just sort of joined a group within where you live, but you've decided to do this bigger exploration and sharing. How, do, how did you decide to come about doing Carbon Copy? I think one led to the other. So I started, um, as a lot of other people do, which is uh, engaging at a community level. And in doing so, we realized that we didn't have a lot of the answers. And uh, we surely were not unique in this situation. And so we started to look around to try and find out what other people were doing in similar situations. Because around that time, this is about 18 months, two years ago, a lot of councils declared climate emergencies. There was some real momentum and a lot of different places were in the same position, which is good. We realized that there's an emergency. We realized we've got to move fast and now. How? You know, what are some of the tools? What are some of the things that people have done that are working really well that we can copy? So it was recognizing that um, there was really good stuff happening, but it was really hard to find that the idea kind of informed the idea of carbon copy, uh, which is essentially a hub for people to share and to discover uh, really inspiring examples of climate action that's happening at that local level with a view to copying them, you know, hence the name. Um, we don't really have time to keep reinventing the wheel. Um, there's too much good stuff that's out there and Everybody's very open-minded in terms of wanting to share things that are working. I think we recognize collectively that it's not a competition, that if one particular area is doing really well and another is doing badly across the entire area, we're not winning. So people are very open to sharing. And what I wanted to do with uh, the other trustees that helped found the charity is just make it easy yeah, to share all these inspiring examples and accelerate change by doing so because you found something that's great, go ahead and copy it. I really appreciate the sort of collaborative, non-competitive coming together of communities in this way. And I think despite very difficult climate emergency circumstances, that does seem to be a nice thing about this community in that people want to share because it's for the good of everyone, isn't it? How then have you found those organisations that are doing all these really good things and to be able to share them on the website? So it's been a journey. Initially, we were in the same boat as everybody else, which is they're really hard to find and it takes real time and effort. And so we invested that time and effort. And what we wanted to do initially was to make sure that we had breadth of examples. So taking climate action is the ever widening conversation. And there are so many different ways that you can do it. So we were looking across different kinds of very broad action areas from 
energy through to transport, nature, nature-based solutions, uh, circular economy, different kinds of land use, agriculture, uh, food. So we looked across a very, very wide range. And what we wanted to do is make sure that we had some great examples across all of these. We also wanted to really be as inclusive as we could be in terms of showcasing lots of different diverse examples in different kinds of communities. Because um, to change everything, we need everyone. And so we didn't want to come across as being biased in terms of our perspective. And obviously we, we all have a, a bias. So we're trying to be conscious to be as inclusive and broad as possible. So we spent a lot of time initially trying to get that breadth of coverage so that when people come to Carbon Copy now, they see something I would hope, several examples of things that are close to them, that, that they can relate to, and the idea they can take inspiration from or learnings from and do something with. Um, where we're at now, I feel, is we have that breadth. You know, we have almost a thousand climate action stories that people have shared, is that um, people can kind of see that, yes, the kinds of things that I'm doing are also relevant. You know, I can benefit from sharing because it increases visibility from what I'm doing and helps bring more people along. But also it's the kind of space that, you know, I want to be in and I want to share. So we're encouraging, hopefully now we're just encouraging people to share their stories and it can be across, as I say, a very wide mix. And it will always be, there's always a, an opportunity for someone to learn something from some of the stories that are being shared. So we do not judge uh, what's a quote unquote good or bad example. It's very much up to the people that come to the hub to decide what's relevant for them. And depending on the stage that they're at, they're gonna look for something that's small or big, something that's to do with energy or land use. You know, people come at it from very different perspectives. I think that was very insightful. Uh, you made that very conscious effort right at the beginning to recognize that people need to see people like themselves in some way, not, not identical, but to be able to relate to other people to say, oh, they are doing that. They are like me. I can do that too. I, I think that was a really great start. Um, and it sounds like it's, it's, it's booming if you've got as many as a thousand. Uh, the inclusivity and the not the non-judgmental aspect, does it mean that absolutely anybody can say, well, there's three of us doing this particular thing and we want to be on your website? Will they? Will anybody be able to become part of your website? Essentially, yes. So we, um, one of the unique things about what we've done is we've essentially made it a self-publishing platform that people can share their stories in their own words, which I think is really important. And in particular, share the advice that they would like to give to other people that may consider doing something similar because people are very hungry for that advice. We want to know, oh, what would you do differently? What's working particularly well, perhaps what's not working so that we can just, you know, get it right, quote unquote. Um, so there are some things that we outline in terms of you know, what we're looking for. Uh, so for instance, we are looking for examples where people are collaborating. So if it's something that you're just doing individually, uh, even though that's really important, that's not something that we're sharing because our focus as we spoke about a bit earlier is about working together. 
So we'd like examples of people that are working together on a particular initiative. Um, we really love examples that people share where they're working with different organizations, because I think that's a really interesting space. Where these intersects are between different organizations is where some magic can happen. So where a community group deliberately engages with their council or, or with a company or a local college, but where you have different organizations that have different strengths and capabilities, and they work together around a particular climate action initiative, those are really interesting examples. And there's lots of good learning to share. And we see that, I think the impact of putting that extra effort in and getting different kinds of organizations to sit around the table leads to more impactful results um, as opposed to if you're trying to do things in a relatively small group within your own bubble. I think the other thing that I would say is, and this is something that I think is a challenge for all people that work in the kind of the eco space, which is um, to reach out to people that are outside of your bubble. You know, it can be almost in, in any uh, area, you, you end up being in a little echo chamber where you're just talking with and listening to people that are in exactly the same space as you. And I think as we look at how do we bring more people on board, this is a change that should include everyone. That point about accessibility, we felt was really important because we didn't just want to talk to people that are already leading the way on, on the environment. There are champions, but we want to bring more people on board and therefore we want to show many more everyday examples of people working at a community level with different organizations locally and the wonderful things that they're doing. Yes, and I, I absolutely understand what you're saying because sometimes you get to the people that are already on that journey and really you want to try and encourage more people to step on, don't you? So that's a bit, always a little bit of a conundrum. I like the idea that there, you can see that there are collaborations between councils and companies and communities. How much of that are you seeing? And does it elevate the success of a project if it's got all those different elements to it? I think it depends obviously on the nature of the project, but something that I think often surprises people is when I share the fact that I mentioned earlier that lots of councils have declared a climate emergency and the majority have. There are about, there's almost 400 principal councils across the whole of the UK. The vast majority of them have declared a climate emergency. Over half of them have set themselves a local net zero emissions target of 2030, which is 20 years ahead of the national target. So there's no shortage of ambition locally people want to move fast. People realize that it's an emergency. So I think that's really uh, inspiring is the level of ambition that people have. I think another really interesting fact to share is that over half of these councils have put an action plan in place, a climate emergency action plan for the entire area, not simply for the council. It's not just a council's plan about sorting out their buildings and their fleet. It's a plan that's been stewarded by the council that involves lots of different kinds of organizations locally. And it's a collective local area plan 
to get to a, a net zero target by a certain date. And I think that's a really interesting and relevant place to start from. People have done some of that hard work. There's an ambitious plan in place. To be honest, a lot of the time we don't know how we're gonna get there, but what's inspiring is that that hasn't stopped people from putting a stake in the ground and say, we've got, to, we've got to change things dramatically within this decade. How we get there is gonna depend a lot on bringing people on board and one step leads to another and you, you build momentum. But I think it's much better to shoot for the moon and if you miss, you've still level of ambition to bring people on board and see how close you can get. And I think that's the space that we're in um, locally, in, in our local areas. And, and that's why I find it very exciting. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see uh, where you're in this space. It's seeing that level of ambition can be quite exciting. And as you say, it's, it's how we meet those targets are going to be quite key, aren't they? You are naturally collaborative in everything that you do. And last year you did an amazing walk towards Glasgow ahead of the COP26 meeting. How did that come about? Uh, what, did, what did you think you achieved by doing it? Yes, that's something that I hadn't done before. Um, I joined a team of six walkers and um, we decided to walk from London to Glasgow. Uh, it's 500 miles. Uh, we did it, we walked every day, um, 20 miles a day, which was very ambitious. And we were doing it in the name of local climate action. So as we walked, we held town halls um, where we got together different members of the community and different organizations. And we spoke about what's happening locally in terms of addressing the climate emergency, what could be happening, what should be happening uh, and bringing people together. And we got some really nice feedback because of the different kinds of organizations, especially schools that we brought into the mix that quite often those conversations that were happening across different organizations hadn't been happening. And that just opened up some new possibilities. So if, you know, if, if we help move that, those local conversations forward a little bit in, in a small way, then we're very pleased that that's a really positive outcome. But we organized a series of town halls and we also met up with lots of different project owners that were pushing ahead on various aspects of climate action. And we really used the walk as a mechanism for highlighting the amazing stuff that they're doing. Uh, and I think that was a real success factor is the walk had some local press interest and media attention. And then we just turned that media attention straight back onto the people that are really doing the good stuff which were the people that we brought on board and some joined us for parts of the walk, et cetera. So it was really, it was a, a mechanism for showcasing uh, the progress that's being made locally and, and the potential uh, impact that local climate action can have. And then we took those stories with us uh, to COP26, to the Global Climate Summit. So we held uh, a number of events there where you know, we were just showcasing the impact of local, how important it is, and recognizing that although a global climate summit is very much focused on national pledges and international collaboration, when it comes to implementing the policies 
um, that we would like to see coming out of such a, a global summit, that policy implementation is being led by people locally. So again, we wanted to really make that important connection between national and international policy decision-making and the people at the forefront of implementation. And what was the experience like for you? Because you say it wasn't something you actually had done before. It was a lot of walking, a lot of talking, <laughs> um, uh, quite a big deal. Did, was it, was it a, a positive ex personal experience? It was. So I'm, I'm a bit of a walker. I have done walks before, but I haven't walked uh, 500 miles day in, day out over the course of 25 odd days. So physically, it, it was um, quite a challenge. The weather was kind to us for, for the first half, so that was nice. Uh, we got a lot of distance under our belt before the weather turned. There were a few storms because this was in uh, October, that, especially in Scotland, that we got hit by. Um, but at that stage, distance-wise, we were getting close to the finish, so we had momentum. I think the thing that surprised me the most is the physical side of walking which I thought may be quite all consuming, wasn't so, because we were all the time thinking ahead to a town hall meeting that we were going to organize that evening. So we were walking and then we had to organize the town hall. It was really full on. Or, we, or it was the following day and we were talking about what was said in the town hall and how we could promote uh, some of the things that people had shared. So we were always, thinking and, and we were engaged with lots of really interesting people that would join us for a day here or there or some of the project owners so in many ways the walk was a little bit incidental yes we were actually walking for six seven eight hours a day but we were meeting really interesting people they had amazing stories we wanted to share those stories and I think all of that the storytelling component really carried us if we had just been doing a 500 mile walk it would have felt like a slog but it really wasn't, and I, I'm pleased to say so. I, I was also quite fortunate I didn't get bad blisters. I think that also makes a big difference about whether or not you like walking every day. Um, but it was an amazing experience and the people we came across were amazing too. I think uh, that says a lot about the power of storytelling, such an important thread for us in so many ways uh, as we live our lives. And in terms of raising the profile of these projects and do you think that those sorts of events can really spread the word and get more people interested? I think uh, those kinds of ad hoc events help um, because there's lots of noise and clutter and this helps break through. I think we are fortunate in that people have shared some amazing stories with us and the opportunities now to help more people discover those stories. And so, you know, walking from London to Glasgow, crazy as it was, uh, was something that drew people's attention uh, to what we were doing. And then we, as I say, we then were able to use that to showcase uh, projects. So as a charity, we will look to do something big this year in a similar vein, something that will hopefully get people's attention that aren't necessarily thinking about uh, the environment 
all the time through our early discussion. I want to get more people engaged and involved. So we're going to come up with something. Um, watch this space, by the way. We'll come up with something that hopefully will have broader appeal. And in doing so, we'll engage more people in what you can do and the impact you can have when you take climate action locally. Sounds exciting. Look forward to uh, seeing and hearing more about that. Going back to what you're currently doing then, in terms of geog the geography of the UK that you cover, do you find there are certain pockets where there is more action? And can you give a sort of sense as to why that might be, if that's the case? I think, so we are trying to be as evenly spread as possible. And where we have potentially seen more examples is more a poor reflection on us of not finding good examples elsewhere. So personally, I think there's a lot of richness. There's a lot of great examples that we haven't been able to discover yet. There are some councils, as an example, that are at the forefront in terms of innovation. Uh, they, when it comes to piloting, they tend to get um, some of the funds that are available. And, and so there are some front runners that you uh, typically uh, know and are well established, uh, the likes of Bristol, Oxford, Nottingham, for instance, just in England. But aside from that, there are, there's lots of really good stuff happening elsewhere. And that's where we're continuing to try and shine a light and find those examples. I say, I think it's more a reflection of us not having had the conversations yet, the people doing good stuff, rather than the fact there isn't good stuff happening. Yeah, good point. You touched there on funding. It can be tricky when you're starting up community projects to get funding, and you yourself are a charity. How easy has it been for you to get funding to get this project off the ground? And can you see funding as a quite a pivotal, important point uh, principle within the other organizations that you share? Yeah, I think funding is always a key resource and potential constraint. And we've signposted people, uh, and we do uh, on our website, to various places where they can go for financing and funding. Um, because it is obviously a, a key aspect. As you know, there's lots of things that can be done that don't require actual hard cash. Uh, there's lots of people that can give time uh, and help in other ways. And especially when uh, we're looking collaboratively at how can we bring more people together, there are resources that can be found, uh, as I say, aren't necessarily cash that can make things happen. So I think uh, funding is key, but it doesn't have to be something that is a showstopper. Uh, if, I think if there's a will, there's often a way and some progress can be, can be made. Um, in terms of how we fund uh, ourselves, one of the things we did up front is we recognized that it does create a huge amount of, of time and effort and resource to gather all these stories together if you as the organization are the publisher. If on the other hand, you open it up to people and you say, this is a self-publishing platform. This is a platform where we can amplify your story, but please tell us your story first. 
then it takes a lot of the burden off of us where we would be a bottleneck and would require a lot of funding and puts it over to people and say, this is basically for you by you. And so our model hopefully is one where it's more organic, where people share their stories and um, they can update them, they have access to them, do whatever they want, but it's their story. And we are a platform to help amplify their story and the research and everything that goes on is something that uh, we don't have to do. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that model starting to play out, that it becomes self-sustaining because it's people sharing their stories as opposed to us being an organization that is researching, judging, and then publishing our own version of what we think is good. It sounds as though you've thought very hard about how to make it as easy as possible for both yourselves and the people sharing. Uh, and it seems like a model that is is clearly working. What are your, you obviously got something on this year, your future ambitions, how do you see the whole community local projects panning out right up until say 2050? Whoa, that's a long, that's a long it's time. It's a long horizon. way. <laughs> As a charity, we're very focused on what should and we can do over the next few years. I think, you know, I can't think beyond 2030 uh, in terms of seeing huge, huge change. I see a lot of really positive momentum. I think uh, I'm naturally an optimist. So um, there, there are things that are dragging and maybe going in the wrong direction, but I'm also looking to the positives. So I think in, in the short term, the real opportunity is to engage a wider audience. Um, as we said, you know, we do need everybody on board. Understandably, there's a lot of people that don't have the time or the energy or, or the willpower to engage in, in this topic. And, and that's okay. There's very understandable reasons why people uh, don't do so. But nonetheless, there are a fairly large cohort of society that is receptive. It may not be doing much now, but if it's in their interest, if they see uh, a good reason for doing so, they too can start to engage. And I think that's a really important audience um, for us to reach out to. And from our perspective, I think one of the things that appeals to them the most is Im improving what's happening locally, making the, 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 the world around them better in, in their community. And so if we can put them in touch with some really inspiring people that are leading some great initiatives, and that becomes a way for these people to also join in, that's success. And that's what we're hoping to do in the short term is really bring a wider bunch of people into this space. And what is the biggest challenge to making people aware that perhaps are receptive to the idea, but haven't thought about getting involved? How do you get that message to them that there is a place for them? They just haven't come across it within their community yet. I think it comes down to certainly relevance and an understanding of where they're coming from and potentially the constraints that they have in, in terms of, for instance, their time, their, you know, their ability to actually join in 
and, and recognizing that there are many different ways that you can do so. So that if you do have limited time, you can do things that, you know, are fit within your busy life, for instance, um, or you can give time if that's the thing that you can give uh, as opposed to something else. So it's just trying to figure out what contributions different people can make and recognizing that any contribution, no matter how small, is a really important one to make and is valued. So I think that's an important message to get across. I think also it helps if, you know, the appeal and, and trying to engage people comes from people locally within the communities, which is why it's not so much carbon copy that's reaching out to the audience directly. It's the project owners uh, that we're showcasing. You know, they're the people doing great stuff. They're very inspiring as people. They need more help from people around them in lots of different ways. And so if we can be a platform for them, I think most, a lot of time, they carry the message and, and people really believe in other people more so than in messages. And so if you see someone in your community that's doing something great, they're often a magnet that will draw more people. For sure. Yeah. And as you rightly say, there's, there's something out there for, for everyone. I wonder, I mean, you've obviously embraced collaboration and looking at this subject and trying to make change for quite some time. Has the breadth of projects that you've been involved with impacted your personal sustainable life that you lead? And, and ha have you been tempted to get involved in way too many projects that you one person can't possibly get involved in? <laughs> it's interesting. I think um, it's made me, certainly at a personal level, you know, try and, and continue to do more positive things in terms of uh, reducing our household waste is a good example. Recycling a lot more. We eventually got around to putting solar panels on um, because we, you know, we we figured that, that we had we, we could find some money to do so. And it was an important thing to do. But at the same time, it, it also made me realize that and there's so much more that I can do personally and it, that it shouldn't stop me or others from also embracing some of this more collaborative effort too, that none of us are perfect. And if we had to wait to get our own house in order before we then took the next step, it'd be too late. So I think for me, it's just an appreciation of the fact that individually, yes, of course, there's more we can do. But that shouldn't stop us from also engaging a little bit more um, at a community level. These things go hand in hand. There's so many moving parts to this. And so I think on the one hand, it's, it's made me a bit more conscious about trying to do a bit more personally. On the other, it's made me a little bit more comfortable that I've still got some ways to go. But I'm also more than happy to, to get involved in some of the community stuff at the same time. And there's a different kind of fulfillment that comes from working within the community on the projects. So I'm, I'm doing both. I'm a work in progress. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's such an important place for us to end on in that 
no one is living a perfect sustainable life as an individual or as a community because well for starters our systems are just not set up to allow us to be that perfect anyway and you know perfection isn't something we should be beating ourselves over the head with but if you can do a bit of both i mean that's fabulous but it, it's 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 everyone is everyone is different and everyone's circumstances are different and we're you know just all trying to start from a place where we're at and just improve a little bit would be great i would um thank you so much for your time rick and i would encourage anyone to go to the website and see all the amazing stories that uh, can be found across the uk that you might want to get involved in so thanks again rick it's been it's been um super interesting to hear about all these different stories thank you caroline i've loved our conversation and all the best to you as well thanks again to rick for talking to me about his work with carbon copy for anyone wanting to help with the climate and nature crises being part of a community project can be a rewarding way to spend your time you can meet new people whilst contributing in some way to helping the environment it's a place where collaboration flourishes, and this is what makes Carbon Copies so attractive. There is no need to reinvent the wheel when you can find people and projects that align with your values and goals. Rick and his team at Carbon Copy have certainly devised a practical approach to sharing these projects. I highly recommend you check out the initiatives on their website. See the link in the show notes. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music, and to you, of course, for listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share the podcast. It really helps. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>